Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. It's great to be back. Late March evening here in New York, we've we've felt like like a, like a touch of spring here, which has me in a good mood. To be honest with you, I've even got a bit of a tan because I've been sitting in the sun traps, which is not healthy. I'm not recommending it, but you find the non-windy side of the house and uh, you catch a few rays. I still have that Irish. Uh, I still have that sense of. The sun's going to disappear. You know, there's always a couple of decent days in April. You got to get as much sun as possible. It might be gone for the rest of the summer. So I'm catching these. I'm catching these early rays. Anyway, guys, we have a great episode coming up. We have Jocelyn Chi as our guest. She's a Singapore raised, but uh, based in America comic, um, and we talk about her comedy career, a little bit about uh, I guess fish out of water comedy experiences which I can identify with from my time in Ireland, but also my time in China. Uh, we talk about recent issues around Asian hate, Asian hate crimes, uh, discrimination she's experienced in the United States, but also compares her different experience of being a, a, a sort of an Asian immigrant to the United States versus uh, Asian American experience. And we really just delve into a lot of that stuff. Also, her own experience of... I guess the the liberation of the openness of American society uh, compared to her more, I you know I guess you would say conservative, not as open Singapore Catholic upbringing. Uh, so it's all it's all super interesting. And honestly, it's Women's History Month, and I did not make a decision to have four very strong, confident women on in a row in the month of March. But I I've accidentally stumbled upon that this month. You know, we've had uh, we had Ashley, we had Hannah, and then we had Joanne, and now we have Jocelyn. Uh, not not just an incredible collection of women, but uh, certainly a, a diverse collection of backgrounds. Uh, so it's been a great month of March. Uh, so Jocelyn will be up. But first, can I just talk a little bit about the serious issue of gun crime in the United States? I know to our Irish listeners which is the majority of the listeners, every time you hear about another mass shooting in the United States, you're baffled by the lack of action. Most of the world is. Baffled by the lack of action on gun control. Every time there's another mass shooting, the numbers, I don't need to bore you about the numbers, but it's uncomparable to the rest of the world. The amount of mass shootings, gun crime deaths in the United States, particularly Ones that are not related to uh, gang warfare or drug crime. You know, I don't don't even know if that's acceptable to say, but listen, there's no debate. There's an insane amount of these random attacks that happen in the United States. And every time 
It happens. Supposedly, we're supposed to wait for a conversation on legislation because first we need to take a step back and just grieve for the loss. But the grief is relentless. The grief is ongoing all the time. We're just grieving all the time, but not taking any action. And I've just had it up to here with this bullshit people who are afraid to take action on gun control hiding behind this concept of needing to grieve. The desire for gun control comes from the grief. Obviously, we're not, I'm speaking as somebody who is not directly connected to gun crime. I'm not, I can't imagine the pain that people must go through when a normal day turns into hell on earth, probably for eternity. I can't imagine how that feels. You know, I, I, I've had friends that have experienced certain types of tragedy in their life, but but just the the senseless randomness of life just being taken away. I've never I, I, I can't imagine it. It's it's impossible for me to fathom. So all I can imagine is that people want this to stop. And I, I, I just it baffles me the support that people have for a lack of gun legislation in the United States. Of course, like all things, like so many things we've talked about over the last couple of years on this podcast, it's mostly because it's politicized and you pick a side and then you pick the issues of that camp. And somehow this concept of the freedom to be able to buy a gun with very limited restrictions is somehow part of American freedom, a freedom that most of the world does not need. But for somehow in America, that's considered one of the most important freedoms enshrined in the Constitution, the right to bear arms. But it's enshrined in the Constitution in a context that has nothing to do with the way that it's used today. And it just makes total sense that it should not be that easy to get a gun in the United States. And people can make mental illness arguments all day because I 100% agree That mental illness is a huge part of the problem. And when you have a problem with mental illness, you have to make sure that people who, for whatever reason, whatever type of mental illness, whatever type of of disease that rises in a human being that starts to think that this type of heinous act makes sense, whatever goes on in the human mind, that suddenly somebody would get to a place where they think this is a good idea, it should not be easy for them to get the goods to commit as much carnage as possible, to inflict as much damage, as much death, to spread as much grief across the United States as has been done over the last number of decades. It's crazy that we wouldn't want this regulation. I know that you guys listen to debates all the time and compared to drink driving legislation, road safety, just all the, all the dangerous things that we can do as human beings. There's so much regulation around it. And guns being so exceptionally dangerous in the wrong hands should have so much more regulation than it does, but it doesn't. And it's sickening. It's it's sickening that they won't take action based on the fear of alienating. And I, I understand that these politicians are afraid. They don't want to alienate these people. They're in the business of power, and they know that this could... Uh, damage their power. It's it's a threat to their power. I understand that part. The baffling part to me and anybody who sees the, the, the basic sense, I mean, to me, it's just so much common sense to look at countries where it's much more difficult to get a gun and the amount of gun crime that they have versus the United States. It's like, it's it's all about guns and the easy access to them. There's no argument. Your only argument is that you want the freedom to buy it and you're not concerned 
with the repercussions, which I would be fine with that. I would be fine if people were honest and just said, you know what? I think the right to buy a gun is more important than the amount of death that that right is creating. And I'm willing to accept that the consequence of my right to buy a gun is increased human death. At least be honest. Because if you're anti-gun legislation, you're pro-death. If you're anti-drink driving legislation, you're pro-death. That's basically what you're saying. That this death is worth it. And I disagree. You know, and this, I'm certainly not making this about me, but just a quick point. You know, I reposted a clip that I, I made two years ago. Uh, was actually uh, potentially for a TV show. They were looking for jokes about uh, the amount of mass shootings. And I made a quick, pretty basic joke about how in Ireland we can't get guns and we don't have mass shootings. You know, of course, in Ireland, the controversy is you're ignoring Bloody Sunday. And I, I get all that. It's not important because, you know, it's a very basic joke and people get the gist. But the reason why it's such a basic joke is because it, it's such a simple point to make. It needs to be made over and over and over. Hello, America. Open up your eyes to the rest of the world. People are not dying in mass shootings like they're dying here. Yeah? So I, I, I like making that very basic fucking joke because it reminds people. I mean, I know I did it in New York at the Comedy Cellar. I was preaching to the converted, but it's a very simple joke. So I reposted it yesterday, I think, or the day before, the, the day of the second mass shooting in a week. You know, just to just to remind people of the fucking simplicity of the discussion that needs to happen and the action that needs to be taken. And of course, some people get get into this this argument about, you know, pe- people aren't, you know, people are, have just died and you're making a joke. And it's like, no, I'm not making a joke uh, on the backs of people just dying. I'm sick of people dying and I'm making a joke to make a point. And people can say all day, oh, the point's been made. People know. It's like, oh, really? So we're supposed to wait again, right? Thoughts and prayers. Let's just keep waiting. Let's just keep waiting so nothing happens, so another mass shooting happens. And then we wait again? No. We're sick of fucking waiting. Enough's enough. And what really bothers, like, I don't care. People want to say that my joke is inappropriate. I don't really mind because actually it's their right to think so, okay? But I get outraged about mass death and the reasons behind it. If you get outraged about jokes, good for you. Try to be outraged about the death, not about people making jokes trying to make a point. Try to be outraged about the senseless slaughter that continues to happen in the United States based on the fear to bring real legislation about gun control. Be outraged about that. And more importantly, be fucking honest about why you're actually upset about the joke, which is... You don't want gun control. And I can't speak for all the people that complain, not about my joke, but all the people that complain about it's, 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 dis, it's disgraceful that the Democrats are going to use this to push this gun control legislation that they've always wanted. And if somehow they're trying to jump on the back of death as an opportunity, it's not an opportunity. It's a desire to stop more death. But it's always this sense of trying to, trying to shame people who, who want to respond to this senseless slaughter with change they try to shame them into acting like somehow it's it's disrespectful to talk about it straight away no in my opinion do you know it's disrespectful not wanting to take action to stop it happening again i know it sounds repetitive but it needs to be out there because these people really think 
that this makes sense because they really think it's their, their human right to be able to go to Walmart and buy a fucking gun with, with a fucking driver's license and minimal background checks. They, they, they think that that's quintessentially American. But it's quintessentially stupid. It's, it makes no sense. If a bad thing keeps happening and no legislation changes and it keeps on happening, then you're an idiot. I mean, obviously people bang out the cliches, repeating the same mistakes, expecting different results. But I mean, this isn't even repeating the same mistake. This is literally just not changing anything. This is literally just inaction. You know, and that's, that's, this is just another byproduct of a divided America. So I hope this time, maybe people will make sense. Democrats in power. You know, I don't know, but something has to change. Like, it's just not that hard. Like I have no problem with people having the right to buy a gun. It's just like, Nobody needs one that quick. You just don't need a gun quick. You know, if it's if it's really important for you to have a gun, there should be you should just take a lot of fucking time to get it. You know, for them to properly vet you and for you to properly decide what the fuck you really need this gun for. Cuz you don't need I've never needed a gun. I don't need a gun. You know, I I I've traveled around the world. I've been to unsafe places. You know, I've wandered around Rio de Janeiro, supposedly full of crime. I, I, I've been to, you know, I've been to the North during the Troubles. You know, I lived in New York in the 80s as a child. I never thought I needed a gun. Didn't have vigilante fantasies. You don't need a fucking gun. I get it. You're into some sort of gun sport. Fine. But you shouldn't be able to just decide, fuck it, I want to shoot some shit and go down and buy a gun. And that that's my... That's my, like, conservative opinion on it. I don't even really think you should be able to get a gun at all, but that's, you know, that's just me. I I don't think everyone should have that opinion, but I just personally don't know why people need guns. You know, it's just not necessary. Um, so that's my quick take on that. I'm sorry for ranting. I know a majority of Irish people are just like, why are you even telling us? We know. Uh, but you know me, I like to get passionate about stuff. So now we're going to have a, have a great chat with Jocelyn. And I'll be back at the end to wrap things up. Thank you very much, guys. So, uh, well, first of all, Jocelyn, tell me, tell me a bit about your story. Because I, I know you're from Singapore, and I got to know you on the New York comedy circuit. But And I'm in Singapore right now, by the way. Oh, you're in Singapore now? Yeah. What a coincidence, right? That you oh, called I, me right when I was in Singapore. Oh, I did. I I didn't know that actually. I uh, was the timing still good. I mean, you picked the time, so I guess it was. I picked the time. Yeah, it's midnight. I went out for dinner, came back. Now I'm doing your podcast. <laughs> yeah, have, I, have I gotten you uh, with a few glasses of wine on board so I could possibly get you to to say things you wouldn't normally say? Oh, you wish. You you have me with three desserts on board. <laughs> I'm on a sugar high. Yeah. So, Ed, but but I, like I got to know you doing comedy at the New York Comedy Circuit. Uh, and you're actually one of the few like immigrant comedians that I know uh, on on this side of the on this side of the water. I guess I'm an immigrant comedian in Ireland. But how did that? How did it come about? You did you did you immigrate to the United States for other reasons? I came. Well, actually, technically, I'm first gen because I was born in America, 
is I feel like we cheated though. I mean, my parents were in America for 12 months. They were like, okay, while we're here, we need an American baby. So they were actually childless for seven years, came to America for grad school. They're like, all right, let's get an American. And they did a good job. You know, I was, bo- I was conceived and born within one year and then they had to get out of there. So, so, so was- w- w- did your parents want a child or did they want an American? They wanted an American. They didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted an American. I mean, seven years without children, you have to be suspicious, right? Like, did you want a child at all? Or did you just like kind of got excited about the green card? Yeah. Or, well, also, seven years without children and they were in grad school. What, what, like, when did they get married? When they were 16? <laughs> yeah, they got married. Um, I think maybe 27 ish. Uh, I'm not sure oh. why grad school was so much later. All right. Yeah, cool. So, okay. So, so, so they had you. So, I guess, I guess there's an element of practicality. I'm sure some anti-immigration people will probably accuse them of what? What is that? An anchor? Ba- are you an anchor baby? Is that anchor is- baby? I'm an anchor <laughs> baby. I mean, they haven't done anything about it. They're still living in Singapore. They haven't exercised their anchor rights. But I think they just wanted the option. My no, dad did even- actually when I was 12. He considered migrating to America. And look, he went to MIT. He has his engineering degree from MIT and was a, a successful. Um, business person in Singapore, I was like, what are you going to do in, in America? He goes, I could open a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, yeah you could <laughs> you do. You have a degree from MIT, you want to open Kung Fu Panda? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because I've always found you to be quite lighthearted around the stereotypes. I mean, you're, you're literally banging out like, you're doubling down on the stereotypes like quite naturally with your story because your parents are, uh, you know, mega educated and and then also joking about opening a Chinese restaurant. But, I mean, I don't know anything about the Anchor Baby stuff. And I know we're, we're just joking around. But how did you end up deciding you'd like to take advantage of your American birth and come back? Because I, I assume you're, you grew up educated in Singapore, right? Yeah. So at 19, which is when we graduate from high school, my dad came and he gave me this brochure to a college in America. He's like, do you want to go to America for college? And it didn't even occur to me. I mean, growing up, I never really identified as American. You know, now we're all about identity politics. I didn't identify as American. I should have, though. I feel like I should have taken more advantage of my Uncle Sam passport. Whenever some asshole tried to bully me, I should be like, hey, look, asshole, American bitch. And then they would have like, back the fuck up, right? But I did. I, I just like, Went along, just saw myself as Singaporean until around 19 when my dad was like, do you want to go to America for college? And his but, I mean, just now- if I can interrupt you for a sec, I mean, being born in America, it, that, that doesn't necessarily make you want to feel American. Like I was born in London. My parents happened to be living there and I do not consider myself British in any way. In fact, I, I, mm-hmm. I deny it as much as possible. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I would like to think that the practicality of having been born in America was more important as sort of identifying as an American. That's true. Yeah. So I do relate to that. I didn't identify at all. Um, I mean, I spoke Singlish all the time. You know, Singlish, the Singaporean English. Well, I mean, I, I, I know Chinglish and I assume that you guys have your version of the, of the we jokes. We have our version. You know. Yeah. So you grew up speaking English as your first language or not? Yes. English first, Mandarin second. My Mandarin actually sucks. It's not, I mean, we've spoken a little bit of Mandarin, but it's not bad. <laughs> so when you, when, what is the, what is the general jokes in Singapore about Singlish? So, for example, it's not really a 
Well, all right. A Singapore joke would be like, because we, we get fined a lot in Singapore. You know, it's a very, so we always say, oh, we have a very fine country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you get fined for like uh, chewing gum, right? Chewing gum, spitting, littering. Yeah, it's like fine, fine, fine. We have a fine city. How do the, the, the people from mainland China come to Singapore? How do they deal with being fined for spinning? Oh, my God. Yeah, I think they actually have to clean up their act. They finally, I'm sure that's a big problem in China, right? Spending all over the place. <laughs> well, they certainly don't get fined for it. That's for sure. But I was just wondering if that sure. was actually, if that was actually a problem. But like, so you grew up speaking English first language. Uh, and so obviously you were equipped to come to the United States. Yes, thankfully. I mean, there were certain things like um, learning American slang when people would say, oh yeah, that's the shit. I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I thought the shit. <laughs> I, I got booty call and butt doll mixed up. <laughs> so that's how I got my first boyfriend. I told him it was a booty call when I meant butt dial. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great because you you have a lot of the humor that I had uh, living in Ireland, which is you're sort of, you're experiencing... Uh, the natural vernacular uh, in in your own in your own way. I noticed that a lot too with the the Chinese comics when I was living in China. They had a lot of humor of misunderstanding English, despite their own fluency. It's just misunderstanding like natural English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think a lot of humor can be derived for, from that for sure. Um, but anyway, I but think- just just on a historical level in your own life. So what happened? You decided to go to college in the United States. Yes. So I came to America for college and I really wanted to, I didn't want to be one of the Singaporeans that just stuck with the Singaporeans because there were many of them like that who just came to America and just lived with Singaporeans, took classes with Singaporeans, married Singaporeans. Like they just found, found, formed their own little Singapore bubble. I threw myself into American culture. I joined a sorority. <laughs> I was like a Kappa Alpha Theta. <laughs> Can I help you, help you, help you? Uh, oh, wow. and- you were in a sorority and everything. Did I you, was in a sorority did, and everything. Did you oh, indulge? Yeah, I, I, did you indulge gosh. in? Uh, did you indulge in like party life? I sure did. Yeah, I, I had my sorority girl black pants, wore it like a, a uniform, party with the frat boys, but they actually made me do a skit. I was just thinking about it the other day, um, because of all the the Asian stuff coming up, and you know, back then fetishizing Asian women was not considered racist. You know, it was just like a thing people did. So they actually made me for one of the skits that we did for the fraternities. They put me in a, in a dominatrix outfit and I was going to be Lucy Liu and I came out of a whip and everything. So I was like this Asian dominatrix for a skit that we did for the white boys. Oh, 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 and it's funny because now, now, now you probably look back at that and think that it was, it was problematic, right? For me, no, because I have a very high threshold. As a comedian, I think we generally have a higher threshold for what's problematic and what's offensive. Um, so for me, no, but I could see a lot of people being like, oh, that was not PC at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, it's not It's not that it's it's not... It, uh, obviously, you were comfortable with it at the time, but then, of course, people would maybe criticize you for playing up to the, playing up to the stereotype. Yeah, and I think that is the criticism I do get, which is almost like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Because, for example, if it was a white sorority girl doing yellow face and being an Asian dominatrix, that would be like pretty problematic. But even an Asian person can't play to their own stereotype. Then, like, what what are we left with? Yeah, but also, I guess, you know, I mean, it's always the argument, you know, ignorance is bliss and all that. But just like if if society changes and suddenly you 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 
realize something earlier in your life was problematic. It's very difficult to take, you know, I, I full responsibility in that you actually found it kind of funny at the time. And maybe later on, you might be like a bit older, a bit more mature, or society changes and you go, oh, I probably wouldn't have done that now. But did you make a mistake? I mean, I don't think you made a mistake. But I guess some people would would like, for example, if you got massively famous, somebody might whip up that sketch and say, what were you thinking when you did that? Yeah, it's the same problem a lot of famous comedians have now, right, with Jimmy Fallon getting accused of doing brown face. But like you say, if this was accepted at the time and he didn't know it was wrong because it wasn't considered wrong at the time, then how can you really blame someone for something in an era where it was accepted? Yeah, I I think, too, sometimes, um, like, say, like an Asian-American comic or an immigrant like yourself that's doing comedy... Sometimes I feel like people want to narrow the spectrum of what you can talk about very quickly in that somehow if you play on the fish out of water cultural stereotypes of being an Asian in the United States, somehow you're, you're sort of pandering to some simple comedy, even though in actual fact, you're literally just mining your life's experience, which is actually the minority experience in comedy. Whereas the majority, the, the, the larger group of comedians, perhaps a native born Americans are talking a lot about their own culture without being sort of confined to these, these, uh, you know, these restrictions of in comic talking about encountering American culture as an Asian. It's like, well, what else are you supposed to do? It's who you are. Yeah, that's a good point, right? We do just mine our experiences for comedy. Um, and then when a minority does it, it's, like, oh, that's so cliche, <laughs> even though it's the less talked about topic. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, and interestingly enough, I judge myself now too. It's as though I have taken on these judgments of, of these people criticizing me for doing, oh, stereotypical fish out of water. And I'm like, oh, can I stop it with the same type of jokes? Like, why can I talk about something more um, elevated, a more elevated form of comedy other than fish out of water jokes. So I, yeah. I even absorbed that own criticism myself. And no, I mean, I, 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 I took that on a lot in the early part of my career in Ireland. And actually, if I could just share one bit of, <laughs> one bit of advice, one of my great regrets is that I moved on from the fish out of water stuff or certainly experienced what you experienced and got in my head about the fish out of water stuff too quickly because I actually mm-hmm. think that you should explore that as much as you possibly can until it's exhausted in your own mind. I don't actually think you should stop doing it because suddenly you feel the pressure of external critiques because most people want to criticize and their criticism isn't necessarily correct. And I personally think that you should mind that as much as possible because your own fish out of water experience can bring a lot of fresh takes on even supposedly cliched topics you can still have a fresh take. In fact, there's an Irish comedian, Dylan Moran, that says there's no hack topics, only topics done in a hack way. So the truth is that mm. your your personal experience, I mean, actually, from watching you, I've always I've always enjoyed your your personal experience, especially because you know you're 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 perhaps different than say the Chinese American take or the Korean American take, because you're you're a, a recent immigrant experiencing it with a, I guess a kind of upper middle class Singapore upbringing. You come to the United States, you experience things differently. So that's like. That's a that's a twist on a take that perhaps people might have heard before. So if you don't mind that, then we lose out on your unique experience. That's a good point, because who else is going to be a Singaporean upper middle class, as you rightly pointed out? Not sure how you knew that, but good job. Uh, it was an assumption based on 
on your it was an assumption based on your parents' education, Singapore, <laughs> Singapore demographics. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Crazy rich. You may not be a crazy rich Asian, but you're at least middle class. I was going to bring up crazy rich Asians later on in the context of you're in a a, a more uh, more friendly to Asians uh, entertainment environment. But uh, oh, could you bring the headset? Oh yeah, thing? sorry. Yeah, I, I was going to bring up uh, the Crazy Rich Asians thing in, in, in relation to being in a, in a friendlier environment around, uh, you know, Asians in, in the entertainment industry. Uh, so actually, well, I might as well ask that now, because when I was in China, uh, I was working a lot with, with Joe Wang, and he was the first person to introduce me to the expression, the bamboo ceiling, which I had not known about. And he gave me uh, examples of other Asians in the entertainment industry in the United States that basically were only allowed to get so far. Margaret Cho being, I guess, kind of like the biggest example, you know, like one Korean American sitcom doesn't do well. Therefore, all Asian ideas are bad. You know, there's a kind of, <laughs> like right. a bad period of time. Whereas you're now in the industry where there, there, there seems to be more positivity around Asian stuff. Have you had any personal experiences with, I guess, feeling like, there's limitations because of your identity have you found it to be positive like what's been your general experience generally it's been overall positive i would say the only downside that probably any asian comedian would say is that there's only one of us allowed on the lineup so in Mm. any lineup you can have five white guys but only one asian male or female generally is allowed right like all else you're like busting your quota so that'll be like the only downside I see to being an Asian comedian but generally in in this day and age where producers are so much about diversity um, casting directors as well I do see it as an advantage Um, but then again you come to the flip side and we're talking in the casting world nowadays where the the roles are still pretty limited so yes they're going to be needing an Asian for some kind of diversity quota but there's probably just one role for an Asian person in a, an entire production, unless you're doing something like Crazy Rich Asians, where it's, of course, uh, predominantly not completely Asian. Um, I think at the end of the day, everyone's going to have their limitations. White people are going to have the limitation that there are just, in this day, you know, now there's some kind of reverse discrimination. Now they want more diversity. So I do have white guy friends complain that they are not getting cast. They're not getting booked because they don't fulfill the diversity quota. The white man quota has been taken up. Um, but because you guys are still the majority, there's still more of you competing for now what's a shrinking pool of slots. So I think we all have our challenges. And Yeah, that's why I get you on my podcast. I get you on my podcast. Make me look like I'm, I, I care. <laughs> they what? I said, that's why I get you on my podcast, you know, makes it look like I care about the diversity, you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like the one Asian. See, you can only book one. I told you. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, of course, of course I'm joking because you know that I, I, I care so much about that, but you know, it's, it, it, it is true. You do notice that as a one Asian and you know, a, a lot of that stuff, I would hope that uh, well, first of all, the success of Crazy Rich Asians seems to have had some sort of an effect on the on the industry. I think also it can't be underestimated that the the purchasing power of uh, Asian Americans and possibly you know Asians internationally has uh, attracted the attention of uh, you know people that make 
content in that they suddenly yeah, realize, like oh, actually the secret, there is a secret Asian group. I can't remember their name, but what they do, um, and they are investment bankers, private equity guys, you know, but they're Asian in ethnicity. And what they do is when a movie gets released that is Asian in, in nature, whether it's the director or the cast or the writer, they will buy out the tickets for the premiere and give it away for free just to signal to the producers that, hey, there is monetary demand for Asian shows. So I was like, wow, look at these Asians putting their money to talk. Well, you know, they, I mean, they, they they have that power. I mean, that's been one of the great levelers, I feel like, of the last 30 years. I mean, we, whether you're pro or anti-China, I'm, I'm both. I'm critical of the bad stuff. But the positive of that increased, you know, Asian monetary powers, people have had to pay attention internationally to you know, the economic strength. But then on the on the, on the flip side, I, I feel that that then feeds back to Asian Americans who suddenly have more options, they can get more sense of belonging within uh, the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of China, look at them now standing up to America in, in the talks with America. I was like, wow, China is no longer backing down, man. They see their might. Positives and negatives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, um, which brings us to the more more recent stuff. Now you've away. How long have you been away? I've been away since end of January. All oh, right. So you 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 kind of you left right at the beginning of the this uh, reporting about increase in Asian hate crimes. Yeah. Um, why do you think I left? <laughs> but did, but but did but I, I think you're kind of joking there, right? But like, have you had? Did you experience a change in atmosphere when this sort of anti-China rhetoric built up around the coronavirus? You know, even before the rhetoric started with Kung Fu flu and whatnot, when COVID first came out and I was doing a tour of the West Coast, white people were avoiding me and the Asian girlfriend that I was with. Like you could see them visibly trying to cross the street or not really wanting to serve you at a store. So even without rhetoric, just then seeing that we were Asian, and this was known as the Wuhan virus at the time, mm. you know. So this was, um, I think, February, March of 2020. So that was already when I started noticing some some discrimination. And did you did you think that it would eventually escalate to like evidence of actual hate crimes like literally no, like we've gone back a hundred years so what i was going to say it's literally like we've gone back a hundred years in our the way we treat asian immigrants or asian people in general yeah i wouldn't have thought it go to the level of hate crime just because we haven't really heard much about hate crimes against asians in the news so it's something that's not been, been on my consciousness. I had been like a guy tried to spit on me once before in my life. Once a black guy had shouted at me on the street, Hey, go back to your country. And I was like, you go back to your country. You know, it's like that happened. Um, but other than those couple, Oh, you know what? Actually when I was in, in college and this was a long time ago, a Korean church did get a mass shooting um, by some white supremacists. So that did happen because it was so far 
far and in between. Um, wait, what's the phrase? Anyway, far and in, in, in something. I, I can't remember the phrase. My English is not that good. It's my first language or something. That I fuck it up. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so rare, I it's, I didn't think it would escalate to level hate crime. And also, I guess, if someone's just afraid of a virus, they can protect themselves, right? Like, go for Like, if you were afraid of catching a virus you just stay away from the other person you wouldn't kill them i mean i guess that's an effective way of not catching the virus if they are dead but it never occurred to me they actually get to the point where they're like all right you know what you know what's better than a cure prevention yeah i mean you know i guess the problem is that the vitriol was allowed to rise up to the extent that this this insanely simple uh argument or certainly the acceptance that it was okay to think that china did this to us and therefore it was then acceptable to have hate towards all asians <laughs> you know, it doesn't even i mean on so many levels it doesn't make any sense but i guess when you get into a certain mindset you you you, you know you you're you're so full of frustration and rage uh you take it out on somebody and somehow they felt like it was okay to take it out on asians and you know here we are where we, we're seeing like real examples of that i mean i guess you're you're in singapore so you're not like in the heart of it but you know when you see on instagram people you know at at protests and people sort of rising up does it does it give you sort of hope that perhaps we're even going to get into a, a you know a better time for asians in america by i you know because there is all this talk about the model minority and there is this sense that finally they're not just taking it you know humbly they're actually saying we're not that quiet we're just going to take a group of people anymore yeah i was very heartened to see so many agents come out to protest because we don't protest you know we 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 just do our jobs we suck it up and, and stay quiet um in singapore we definitely don't protest anything we complain but we don't protest yeah um so but then i also see the, the limitations of the Black Lives Matter protests. I mean, they've been protesting for years too. And have there been changes? Yes, I do think there are some changes. But then when you hear of another racial killing, you're like, how is this still a problem? So my personal take is um, you can't change a racist mind. You know, mm -hmm. I think you can start at a young age. So the future generation... And, and a lot of college kids are very politically correct these days, mm. very sensitive and empathetic. So I can see that younger generation growing up more empathetic and aware. But the, the people who are already racist, we're not changing their minds, right? So I think it all mm. comes down, down to if they're a racist, what can they do about it? So if they have a machine gun in their hand, they can do some serious damage with their racist hate if they only have a steak knife and okay, whoop de do, you know, go ahead and think your racist thoughts. Guess a shit. Yeah. Well that I mean, I, I wasn't gonna talk about it with you, but in my intro I will have spoken a bit about, you know, I think when you live abroad, when you don't live in the United States, it just seems nonsensical for anyone to defend the wide availability of guns. You know, yeah. you just keep you keep having these bad outcomes. Uh but at at the same time, when you add race into it, you know, mm. regardless of this guy trying to say that he was a sex addict and he was, you know, he killing these women to protect himself from his sick mind, whatever, yeah. whatever crazy thing was going on in his mind. The problem is that when you throw race into it, especially at a time where there's heated rhetoric around Asian people, it is 
it is fear inducing. I mean, I, I would I would think right now if I was an Asian person that I would have an increased sense of fear because there's a, a sense of entitlement among us amongst a certain group of people that they deserve their ire, you know? I mean, it's I thought we would be safer with Biden as our president. With Trump, if Trump had gotten reelected, I'd be really worried. Um with Biden, I thought we would have calmed down. Uh, apparently not. And I mean, I was going to go back. I was going to go back to America in a couple of weeks. And now all my friends are like, maybe you should wait for things to calm down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, because like, even when I'm in China, I'm doing stand-up comedy. They always laugh if I make a joke about qian shu. You know, this sense of like being modest is is so important within yeah. Asian culture. And I, I have always felt that this sense of the model minority and not wanting to protest or speak out, not wanting to lose face, you know, not wanting to show uh, you're losing your sense of cool, all that stuff's very important in Asian culture. But, you know, when people rise up like they have now, they're in a way kind of going against that. Like, it, I would think that that's kind of a, a healthy change. Like, even in Asian culture within Asia, is there a sense amongst young people that there are certain traditional aspects of what's considered good behavior that people need to challenge? You know, I think as far as Singapore is concerned, there's been a lot of change. Uh, people have definitely changed a lot from when I was growing up here. Because growing up here, we, like I told you earlier, we don't protest the government. We don't criticize. We do nothing. But now in our main political party, the People's Action Party, which has been in control since our independence, has been losing ground election after election. They had a resurgence when our founder passed away because people were nostalgic and sentimental that the founder of Singapore passed away. But other than that one election year, just after the passing away of our founder, um, the party has been losing ground because younger people are so much more critical. They're running against the government. Um, we have, I mean, there's still a lot of censorship in the news but people set up these websites and they criticize the government. So I do think there has been like a shift amongst Asians to be more vocal. They speak up now. I mean, growing up in Singapore, in class, we was told to be seen, but not heard. So we couldn't really speak up in class. You know, you just like memorize and do your work. Now there's more of an emphasis on speaking and debate. Um, so yeah, I definitely think things are changing for us to become more like white people. <laughs> <laughs> You could take the the good things from the white people, avoid the <laughs> avoid the the supremacy part. So now mm -hmm. back in so now back in the states, just talking just the other cultural difference. When I was in China, you know there was a resistance to or a hesitancy to do anything considered too dirty. There was definitely a, a, a more despite the fact that doing stand up in China is a very unconservative thing to do there was a very conservative mindset on the type of topic, topics you could cover and i don't just mean from a, a political sense political censorship point of view but also from a cultural point of view particularly around sex and stuff now in the united states you're quite open you talk about dating and all that do you feel that that in itself is a uh, I, I i like almost like a like a rebellious act Oh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. Maybe not rebellious, but more like a... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Taking ownership of my sexuality, because growing up, it was very repressed. I grew up not just Asian, but Catholic. So I had Asian Catholic guilt. So I felt guilty every time I had premarital sex, unless he was a doctor. I can't and, imagine the guilt. I have Catholic guilt, but I can't imagine if I threw Confucius on top of that. That would just exactly. be one. That would be one too many, one too many old school mind thoughts to get through. It is a lot of guilt. So I, I get this sense. I get a sense of empowerment speaking about it. Unless my dad is in the audience, then it's like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> But was that a conscious decision that you made when you started doing stand-up that you were not going to be afraid to talk about that stuff or it just kind of happened naturally? It definitely wasn't a conscious decision. And I do notice that a lot of younger, or I mean, early stage female comedians will go to sex. Or actually, just early stage comedians in general, just because oh. it's an easy, low-hanging fruit, it's easy or easier to make sex funny. So I think I just kind of gravitated to that as one of my my topics because it was just easy but also there was a liberalism being in america where sex is just so much more accepted you know mm. people talk about it at brunch you have a whole show called sex in the city so i think just that atmosphere of and i'm <laughs> i'm feeling like a little weird talking about it right now because my dad's just right outside listening probably <laughs> <laughs> If you see my face turn red, it's because of that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, there's definitely a sense of freedom in America that allowed me to go that way, more so than if I had started out in Singapore and definitely China. Although I saw that I had gone a little viral on Billy Billy, which for your listeners benefit, it's China's version of YouTube, I guess, is their best mm. um, equivalent. And I was like, okay, let me post some videos on Billy Billy. And I posted a clip, it had a bunch of sex stuff, and they let it through. And I posted the clip on Chinese New Year, and they was like, this video has topics that cannot be allowed. So they censored my video. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with the video about Chinese New Year? And then I realized, oh, I had talked about how, um, you know, why do, I wonder why the, the China tradition came out with... Um, needing you to be single in order to get red packets with, with money in them. And I was like, oh, I think China was like, oh, this one child policy wasn't effective. You know, what, what do Chinese people like more than kids? Money. And so like, that was the video that got banned. I guess because I, I talked about the one child policy, I think. Yeah, that's it's probably, the, probably the one child policy. Yeah. yeah. So that's so that's interesting that like, you know, these nasty sex jokes, they're like, oh yeah, this is hilarious. And they are, oh, no one child policy for you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, 
there's like an ever-changing list in terms of what goes on in China. And do you do you, are you finding that you're trying to tap into that the Chinese internet too? You are you are you attempting to do that? I I did in the very beginning until they until they ban one child pol- my one child policy joke. I was like, oh fuck you guys! <laughs> you guys are so narrow minded. It wasn't even. And it wasn't even that I was going after the government or criticizing it anyway. It was just like, I wonder why we can only give red packets to single people. Oh, okay. And I once once they censored something that I thought was so innocuous, I, I just lost steam. I mean, I think any kind of censorship would just make a comedian feel like, oh, what the hell is this shit? So I, that was yeah. the last video I tried to post. Yeah. But before I mean, that, I was very excited to go viral in China because, I mean, it seems like the, the world is heading towards China, economically speaking, culturally, probably at some point. So to go viral in a country with, what, a billion people, I was like, that's a lot of money that could be made out of this. Yeah, I mean, many, including myself, many is the person that got excited for a sec and then realized how complicated it is. I do personally think in your situation, it's probably worth continuing to post videos because the odd video being taken down is almost kind of just part of the job in China, you know? Mm, I see. All right, maybe I'll give it another shot. Yeah, you might as well. I'll, because... I'll, I'll send you a hamper if I really end up going big in China. But you know what? Des, you talked me out of quitting China. And now I'm big in China. <laughs> we all exactly. thanks for this podcast. Exactly. But don't blame me if you end up in jail. That's the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so actually, can I just ask, can I just ask one more thing? Just we talk about liberation. And it made me think, you know, we're talking about it in a comedy context, but how did you feel actually when you came to the United States first and went to college? Like, how how difficult was that for you, or how liberating was it for you to suddenly realize that you didn't have to live within the same sort of, you know, rigid laws of you know being a a, a Singaporean woman? Mm, that liberal that um, liberation definitely took some time to settle into my brain. You know, I think when I first came in, it was just adjustment to college, trying to get good grades, trying to figure out this American culture, what's going on. And um, I was I was known to be pretty conservative, actually, um, when, when I was in college and law school. Like my friends always talk about how innocent I was, et cetera. Uh, I didn't have sex in college, you know, I was <laughs> celibate all throughout college. So I think I was more like trying to acclimate to my new surroundings and, and do well in my studies. Um, so it's really only, I would say, I think, you know, I think it was, I think it was freaking sex in the city when sex in the city came out. And, and at the same time was also things like temptation Island. <laughs> <It's> all- <laughs> sleazy shows like that the bachelor <laughs> and i was like wow they have sex on the first date like first date is hot top already <laughs> so it wasn't until a little later in life when those shows came out that i was like okay maybe i can re-examine some of my catholic asian upbringing and, and values yeah, and it, it, it's it's interesting to hear that because people can take for granted, especially like say for example, you were joking around people criticizing your your simple quote unquote simple fish out of water material. People can have no idea of the backstory behind that. That actually you weren't just a fish out of water. You were somebody that really had to adapt to an entirely different culture. You know, it's not just like Big Macs and fucking basketball. You know, it's like there's like deep cultural differences that take time to understand. And also a whole different 
city, meaning Singapore cosmopolitan. It was a city and just a lot going on. And I went to a small town in Indiana where there was just the most exciting thing they did at 2 a.m. in the morning was tipping cows. So that was another <laughs> big difference. Yeah, so you really... So, I mean, I, I think in a way, actually, that you need to delve deeper into that cultural Because mm. I actually think middle America would really appreciate it, you know? <laughs> Girl from Singapore comes and experiences small town Indiana. I mean, it's 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 a great story, really. Yeah. What's your plan? Are you coming Maybe back? I'll write a sitcom on that. <laughs> exactly. Well, are you coming back? What? Are you coming back to the United States? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm American. Yeah. So, so this is just a temporary trip back to Singapore. Yeah, I was escaping COVID at the time. Yeah. And are, have you done any shows in that Singapore comedy scene? I finally did a run of five shows last week. They, they had no comedy either when I first came back, but a run of five shows. Tomorrow I have a show. I was booked by the government, so good luck to me. <laughs> but there's not much shows going on here. It's not like New York where you have all your outdoor shows nowadays. Oh, yeah, I haven't been doing them either, but I'm getting back in the game April 2nd. Yeah, so, me too. I'm looking forward to coming back in April. Yeah, exactly. And we, we, can, we, can, we can get the show on the road and we'll do another bilingual show. Oh, that'd be so fun. Have you tried any more Mandarin comedy since that time? I Oh my God. So on Billy Billy, I did post a video in Chinese just introducing myself. I needed a tutor for that. That's how bad my Chinese is now. <laughs> I need a tutor for a 20 second intro. <laughs> oh, oh, to help you really like nail, nail the bits? To help me nail the bits. Yeah. To help me really nail the, the Chinese. She... Because apparently the way a Singaporean would speak Chinese is just different from the way a China Chinese person would speak it. So she just wanted to baiting ice my my Mandarin. Get your R R R H. You get your your R pronunciations going and stuff like that. But the but, pronunciation, but, but, but also the choice of words, like certain phrases that they would say, you know, we wouldn't say as much. But I feel like uh, in in the future, in the in the growing international comedy world. There must be, and I'm sure that there's some comics doing it already. There must be some jokes to be written about the sort of Singapore uh, Chinese, you know, versus Beijing Chinese. There must be some jokes there. That's true. Yeah, I'm sure. Kind of like um, Singlish and American English, very different. We say la a lot. Have you met a Singaporean who goes la all the time? Like No. Tomorrow, don't have to work la, which means I don't have to work tomorrow, but we will add a la at the end for some reason. For no rhyme or reason, we'll just add la at the end of the offset. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I, I personally, I love all that stuff. But, you know, I guess you have to have some some awareness. But I assume when you do the show in Singapore, that jokes like that must absolutely kill. I do do this one joke. I just started doing it in Singapore. Like, that even when I went to America... And was doing the Christmas carol. I'll go fa la 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 la. Friends loved it. <laughs> so they love all that stuff. I know. I mean, I, I God, I indulge in all that stuff when I was in China. So listen, <laughs> thanks very much. I mean, you helped me get my Asian kudos up. You know, that's great. You're welcome. This is fun. Um, and uh, wh where can people find you? Oh, I'm on Instagram, Jocelyn Comedy, J O C E L Y N Comedy, and. Uh, uh, if there's any Chinese listening, you can find her on Billy Billy, but don't look for That's the... That's right, on Billy Billy at Jocelyn Comedy. 
<laughs> don't look for the don't don't look for the censor clips. I look forward to you to you getting back to uh, getting back to America. And because we've mentioned it, we're definitely going to have to do another bilingual show. That show that we did ended up being so fun. I mean, even though half the crowd had no idea that it was going to be like in Mandarin, so we ended up it was supposed to be a Mandarin show. It ended up being a bilingual show, but it ended up being quite funny. Didn't you find that it was kind of like a unique experience that night? I thought it was awesome and. Ronnie Chang actually said something to me. I don't know whether you agree or not. He said he's never seen a comedian just be able to translate their jokes and have it work. Apparently, in his experience, you have to write jokes in Mandarin for a Mandarin audience or English. What has your experience been? Like, I just basically just translated my jokes and it worked. But do you find that you can actually translate or you can't do it and you have to write English versus Mandarin jokes? No, no, I find both. I find some jokes translate very easily and then uh, some jokes don't translate at all. Just a very quick example Funnily enough, because I'm going to post this clip soon, but it's a clip in Mandarin that I actually did on Chinese television. But the joke is essentially, I'm fighting with my girl. The, the joke is, uh, I've gotten a lot better at Chinese because I have a girlfriend and you have to be good at Chinese to argue. Uh, recently, we were arguing and she said, you know, and so the joke works in Mandarin because she's shouting at me that she's you know, she feels wronged. And I start looking at my phone, which makes her even angrier. And she storms out. And I'm like, where are you going? She's like, I'm trying to argue with you. And you're looking at your phone. And I'm like, well, like, I don't know what fucking, <laughs> right? which works in Chinese because people don't know that I'm looking at my phone because I'm looking up what way to means. The problem is that mm. when you try to translate that joke into English, it doesn't work because I have to translate way to, I have to tell people she says she feels wronged. And then the joke's kind of over. Right, so yeah. even when I post the Wei Chu joke, I'm not going to put the subtitles on. I'm going to be like, basically, if you don't speak Chinese, this joke is not for you. I mean, it won't do as well as a video, but it just doesn't work as a subtitle bit. But then on the on the flip side, I'm trying to think of one. I had some jokes in English that I just translated into Chinese and, and they totally work. Or for example, the joke that I have about mispronouncing my last name in Chinese works both in English and and in Chinese. I actually think it works a little bit better in English. It works better because there's an interest in tonal languages, but it still works in... I wrote it originally as a Chinese bit. I didn't expect it to end up being such a good English bit. Wow, interesting. So I think, I think, it's, I think it's both. But what I did find when I, was, when I was actually trying to get better at doing stand-up in Chinese, my improv bits were always better received than my actual jokes because... <laughs> My my basic Chinese was able to be quite naturally funny with whatever impromptu thing that would happen with somebody in the front row or something, and there was like a an, an immediacy to that which was just naturally funny to them. Whereas my my bits weren't great because I'm trying to like speak the proper Chinese and perhaps my 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 understanding of the language to craft like a proper joke wasn't as good. So I do think off the cuff is e easier in your second language. Interesting, uh, and I do agree with Ronnie that it's much easier to write a joke in the language about whatever you're talking about than it is to translate. So I'd be more in agreement with, with Ronnie than, than not, but I do find that some things do translate. Got it. And you still post, like when you have a Chinese joke, you'll still post it on your Instagram. And so if they speak Chinese, they'll love it. If they don't, so be it. Well, the last one that I, that I posted, uh, I did actually translate because it kind of, it kind of works. Plus, it was a joke, funnily enough, also a joke about Chinese New Year, about uh, I used to love messing with Chinese people when I was in China because they'd be like, where are you going to spend Chinese New Year? And I, I wouldn't be going anywhere, but I would lie to them and tell them I was going to Sichuan. And then they'd be like, 
you know, ni mai piao lama, like, have you bought a ticket? Because that's like the Chinese obsession, like, get a fucking ticket. Uh, you know, if it's too late, you won't be able to get home for Chinese New Year. So it was just a joke about, you know, joking with them that I hadn't got a ticket and how stressed out they get. And, uh, I, you know, the the joke works for obviously for Chinese people, but I think the the translation works not so much as as a humor, but I think it's like, it's funny for people to see what kind of, you know, lighthearted stuff works for a Chinese audience. So for, for Westerners, they're not really watching it for the punchline. I think they're watching it for what does a white guy joke about when he's in China kind of a thing, you know? Ah, uh, that's great because I was thinking because some of the Singaporean jokes that I have, like the fa la 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 la, I'm thinking of it, even though I think only Singaporeans can appreciate it, I think I'll just post it anyway because maybe a Westerner will be interested in see what Singapore humor is like, even if they don't. No, and I, I also think that because there's so much cross-culture amongst Asian communities, particularly amongst like the ha- you know the fact that there's such a connection between Singapore, Malaysia, uh, you know other parts of of Southeast Asia where they're still Han- you know they're still like Han Chinese they still have like a cultural connection or even that they're Mandarin and Cantonese speaking, I think that there's probably a broader awareness than you think of those mm-hmm. types of cross cultural jokes. I mean Russell Peters was doing some of those types of jokes like you know there's there's a, there's a wider awareness of that than you would think. Not to mention that you know there's a big uh, you know, there's a big like Malaysian and Singaporean community in the United States and their children. So you'd be amazed how many people would, would get that. I see. True. Listen, I made an entire career out of doing jokes about Ireland. It's only 5 million people in the whole of Ireland. <laughs> I mean, like you're dealing with populations three and four times the size of that. So, you, you know, <laughs> even if you exclude China, you know, just dealing with like Singapore, Malaysia, what, you know, like you'd be amazed the amount of people that would get a kick out of that joke. But I think okay. you should post that joke on, on Billy Billy because I think they like the, they like the language jokes. That's very much the Chinese sense of humor, right? It's a play on words. Oh, the fa-la-la joke? Yeah, yeah. I think they like that type of stuff. I think you should do it. Not that we're here to workshop what, what material <laughs> would... Oh, actually, actually, let me ask you one more serious question before you go. I'm sorry. I meant to ask this earlier and I forgot. How much do you relate to the Chinese American experience and how much, you know, do you find is quite different as an Asian immigrant versus being somebody who was raised in America by Asian parents? Oh, super different. Um, my Chinese American friends born and raised are way more American than I am. Uh, they, they definitely have, well, there's some similarity. There's similarity in the sense of um, they also have a little bit of a split identity. They identify as American, but because they were raised by Asian parents, they also have that Asianness in them. But generally, I find them way more Americanized than I am. Um, and I, too, have that little bit of a split. But because the country that you're born and raised in, I think, forms so much a part of who you really are, that I'm predominantly Singaporean because I was born and raised here, even though I spent half my life in America by now. Uh, I'm still not as Americanized as my friends who were born and raised there. Um, other than that, do you find that they're more aware? Do you find that they're more aware of discrimination because a lot of them were educated amongst, you know, people that made fun of them and that they, they were exposed to more of that otherness because they were quote unquote the other. Yeah, I think so. I think they're definitely more sensitive. They're more activist than I am about fighting discrimination because I grew up as the majority. I'm not very Mm. sensitive to being discriminated against. I'm the Mm. white person here in Singapore. 
So mm. when you grow up as the minority, I think you become much more sensitive about it. Um, whereas for me, as far as being a, a woman in stand-up comedy or being an Asian, I, I, I seldom get too political about those topics because I grow up as the majority. I'm not very sensitive to, oh, you didn't book me because I'm Asian. That doesn't really register in my mind. Same as, oh, you didn't book me because I'm a woman. That never registers in my mind because I grew up in an all-girl high school and all our student leaders were women, right? So being discriminated against because I'm a woman never occurred to me. So I think that whatever you grew up with tends to be your sensitivity. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I find that too. Sometimes um, people will, I guess they'll try to say to me like, you know, you did comedy in China and they didn't get uptight about some of your jokes, whereas you, you won't do those jokes here. And I'm like, yeah, but you got to understand that it's a very different experience. When I'm in China, I'm the I'm the minority number one, but also they're not under threat. They're not looking at my jokes as here's this guy getting those old laughs by othering us. They're actually going, here's this guy observing us and this is what he sees. Whereas whereas it's understandable that some of those jokes could be misconstrued when you're back in the United States because if you're, you know, if you're trying to suggest that somehow I'm more I don't mean me personally, but just like uh, somebody trying to suggest that they're more American than you because you look Chinese uh, and and I'm Irish American, so I'm like white and I quote unquote look American. That's the problem, isn't it? Because America isn't a a white country; it's a melting pot. But despite the fact that it could be their great 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 grandfather came to California in the fucking late 1800s, and somehow they're still getting slanty eyes it's like why are you doing that to me i'm just as american as you it's it doesn't make any sense so i'm always conscious of not uh not picking at that wound and making sure that people understand that my jokes are very much fish out of water and china jokes and not in any way shape or form trying to other asian americans that's a really good point it depends on the context in china they're going to view your jokes from a totally different lens than an asian american because of the different sensibilities that they come with so yeah, I mean, I always, I always make the joke when I'm talking to people, not the joke, but I relay the funny conversation, which is when I was in China, Chinese people would constantly, well, not, not constantly, but I can actually remember one specific example. It happened quite a few times, but I was actually doing an interview, like an official interview for a, a publication. And the interviewer asked me, why don't you make fun of our English more? It's so funny. <laughs> and, <laughs> I said, well, wow. funnily enough, I, I, I tend not to do... I said, a lot of Chinese comedians do that. Like, Chinese people grew up in China, perhaps their English is quite good, or they're making fun of their own crappy English, and I find that those jokes are quite popular. I said, I don't choose to do that, number one, because I possibly don't... I don't hear your mistakes as much as, as, as other people do. Not to mention that if I'm making fun of your English, you guys are going to make fun of my Chinese. But yeah. also, also, I would hate those jokes to be perceived as, again, that othering of Asian Americans where that was a problem for a long time. I don't want to be ever be picked up in the wrong way as that guy. Mm. So I always avoided it anyway, even though I literally used to get chinglish material requests <laughs> wow <laughs> but i feel i feel often that actually the the chinglish jokes or the jokes about the mispronunciations they're actually like chinese people 
we're more aware of them because they know the Chinese grammar that they're mispronouncing into English. So almost the joke requires a better awareness of Chinese grammar for that Chinglish joke to work. Whereas actually, like, I don't know why you're saying the sentence wrong. Just to uh. me, I, to me, I get what you're saying. And it's like, oh, your English isn't great, but I get what you're saying. Whereas a Chinese person knows, oh, I'm putting Chinese grammar on an English thing. And that's quite funny, you know? I see. And, you know, to that point about making fun of that getting requests to make fun of their English. I can also see how, because in China, Chinese people are like the white people of America. They are the majority. They are the ones in, in position of power. So you can punch up, but not punch down. If you punch up at a Chinese person in China, you're, you're punching up because they are in that position of supremacy. So I think they'd be more willing to be made fun of. That's why you're getting these requests. Like, why don't you make fun of our English? Like it's funny to them because they're like, well, so what? You're the outsider. You're the one yeah. that we make fun of behind your backs. Yeah, yeah. But it's all, and, and, and I love that. And I like that conversation. But I also, uh, you know, like to point out to people that, you know, you know, once or twice have made the point, like, why don't you, you know, do that over in America? It's not the same thing, you know, it's not, not the like, same, right? Because now you know, in America, I would be punching down. Yeah, not to mention, I just wouldn't want to be seen as somebody who's trying to, to other anybody, you know, a, 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 but also, I think a kind of separate, but you know, I, I grew up in Flushing and I spend time in Flushing and I see the, the more recent Chinese immigrant group, which is very much a mainland Chinese immigrant group. And I hope that some comics will come out of that diaspora, the more recent Chinese diaspora and tell their version of being othered, but also their funny version of trying to make sense of America through the eyes of people who left China or left Fujian in the 80s. You know, I'm looking forward to that story because actually that's not a story I'm hearing too much in comedy yet, but that's just a personal thing because I care so much about China and mainland immigrants because I feel like I can identify with them a little more. Mm. But and that's, a, that's Which kind of ties back to your point of, you know, my fish out of water story is valuable. Like looking, hearing you wanting to hear these other points of views and if they were to do the whole like, I'm not going to do simple fish out of the water jokes and you wouldn't get that humor and that story that you are clearly wanting to hear. Yeah. Plus it's like how many Irish American comics or Irish comics in general do jokes about Catholic repression. I mean, that's a very specific certain cultures experience that Catholic repression more. Should they be the ones to not talk about their experience of that repression? Like it's actually the same thing. So I, you know, I, I feel that it's actually, it's almost, I guess, self-hating if Asians are putting pressure on other Asians, but also it's discriminatory for people to suggest that somehow the Asian fish out of water experience has been done, and therefore if you do it again, you're a hack. I mean, it's it's just nonsense because everybody is constantly revisiting whatever cultural experiences they have. And I just think, again, like you said, because it's one Asian on the bill, it's 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 one, you know, it's still this sense of they're a group that is not part of the majority. So they have very limited things that they're allowed to talk about without experiencing criticism. I mean, I do feel that there's still, you know, subconscious prejudice in a lot of that criticism that you're probably getting. Yeah, true. But we're, 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 you're not we're fighting back. You're you're fighting back, and it's 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 fun to uh, to to watch it. And I've, I'm I'm enjoying the the rise and. Asians in the American comedy scene and I'm also enjoying enjoying the rise of you know Asian international cinema doing well so uh, power to the Asian people Jocelyn 
That's right. Asian power. Asian <laughs> power. All right. So don't forget at Jocelyn Comedy, guys. Add Jocelyn. And uh, when she's back in the States, make sure to come and check out her show. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Apologize to your father for making you talk dirty. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's used to it by now, but I still get embarrassed. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Thank you so much. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So thanks. Hope you all had a uh, wonderful listen. We'll be back next week. Um, thanks for all your feedback. As always, guys, please leave your reviews and five stars. Let us know. At Rugwa Jongren. 在听我们的广播，你也可以发短信，在Apple okay, uh, so do uh, leave a review, uh, take a screenshot, spread the word, um, and uh, we'll be back next week. Maybe we might even have a an extra pod during the week. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, I want to get Steve-O back on. He just, uh, I think he's in the short movie he was promoting today. Uh, don't forget about the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Des Bishop. Uh, Instagram at Des Bishop. A lot going on in the Instagram these days. The followers are going up, so there's a lot of activity there. Um, hence the, hence the, the wannabe controversy on some of my posts, which is very exciting. Uh, anyway, guys, we're going to go and uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you so much. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.